Good morning. It's good to see everybody and welcome to Grace. I hope you got a bulletin as you're coming in. I'll read the light print before we join together in worship. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting. Amen. You may be seated, and I hope you got a bulletin again to follow along. We send out announcements ahead of time. I know Christy sends out an email that tries to update, and sometimes there's things in those emails that may not necessarily be right in the bulletin as in detailed-oriented. So please, if you get those emails, look at them. We try to include those and put those in for you. Um, but before I go into a lot of announcements, I want to uh, have Rusty come this morning. Every year she comes to share with us one of the missions that we support here locally from our church is the Wellspring Life Ministry. And uh, so she's going to come and take just a moment this week as we celebrate that ministry and focus on what we can do to help them. Um, so January 22nd, 1973, is when the decision was declared by the Supreme Court that settled the case of Roe v. Wade. And on January 22nd, 1984, President Ronald Reagan issued a presidential proclamation designating the third Sunday, which was last Sunday of January, as National Sanctity of Human Life Day. So pastors, churches, and life organizations across the U.S. use this day to bring awareness to the attacks that are daily waged against human life through the abortion industry. This past Friday, over 100,000 pro-lifers walked up Constitution Avenue to support protecting the lives of pre-born children. And it almost sounds unconceivable and unthinkable that we would need to protect the lives of our preborn children. Every day, 2,363 preborn babies are aborted in the US, which breaks my heart. Um, as Jerry mentioned, Wellspring Life Ministry, which is formerly um, the pregnancy clinic ministry, um, I've been a volunteer there for over 28 years. Um, we serve Annapolis, Bowie Crofton, Severna Park, and the surrounding communities since 1982. We've cared for more than 38,000 women and their families. We provide about 1,000 pregnancy tests a year. 80% of at-risk clients um, with a positive test get an ultrasound, a free ultrasound, um, letting them hear the heartbeat of their baby and letting them look into the womb to see that their baby is alive um, so they can make a connection with that baby. Uh, we also provide many, many other services, post-abortion reversal, STD testing, educational classes, men's support, um, post-abortion recovery. There's a lot more I'd love to tell you about this, but I told Jerry I would keep it brief. Um, if you want to know more about Wellspring Life, you can see me after church or look me up in the church directory and give me a call because um, this is a ministry that's very near and dear to my heart, and I'd love to share more information. Thank you. The one thing she probably didn't say enough is you too can be a part. And I know sometimes it can be scary when you're working with ministry and helping people, especially those who have to make some very tough decisions. And what an opportunity you have in this ministry to enlighten people on some issues. And though you can't force things, um, what a difference it makes when they get information that allows them to make a choice that changed their lives and that you get to minister to them. And, and I say this gently one way or the other. So it's either going to be a decision they change and make and wonderful in one way, or it'll be a decision they make and they're going to need someone to help them the rest of the way. And so if you're interested at all in being a part of that and helping, please get with Rusty, because um, it's obviously a very powerful ministry that we have 
here in the area. Other than that, we have other announcements that you'll see. Um, let me announce the Sunday School. We are meeting. We're starting up. I think Ken Abbott is doing another class on First and Second Peter. If you're interested in a Bible study format, I'm going to be doing the next pastoral class. We've been going through some of the different uh, counseling, life issues, things we face. Our new topic is going to be called Contentment, Finding God's Goodness in Life. And so if you've gone through circumstances or struggles and you find it hard to be content, we're going to be dealing with what it means to find our contentment in Jesus Christ. And so we'll be sharing that downstairs as well. I know the youth are going. Our children's classes are going. So please, find a way to plug in. We do want you to pray about helping. Uh, I don't want to take every week to do this. But if you're interested in helping with the preschool age kids, whether it's Sunday school or in the evenings, we really need someone to be praying about uh, how it is that they can help lead the little ones. We'd really love to start our preschool ministry up. We have a lot of young kids that are kindergarten and down that are starting to come and we want to minister to them. Um, but we also need another helper. Our other class has grown so large um, that Kim Williams and Stacy were teaching in Sunday school that we tried to split rooms and get them to a bigger room and there's just not enough. And so today we start two separate classes. And so if you have a child that's in the kindergarten, first, second age, I think it is, or first and second grade, Stacy's going to take those to a new room downstairs and Kim will continue to teach the older kids. So we also need assistance. Now that we're expanding, if you're interested in helping and you may say, well, I don't want to teach every week, but I'd love to be there to help, please let us know so we can plug you in. It's always a blessing to grow. Um, but again, the service this morning wasn't by choice. It's all about serving. And so uh, maybe a good opportunity for you to plug in and begin to minister and help as we go forward. Um, so other than that, please look forward to all the things that are being offered. You'll see the prayers that come in. Again, I remind you, we take those out uh, randomly. We don't keep them in there forever. Um, we try to send things out as they come in, but we don't want to keep them in there forever. But we, if we take a prayer request out that you would like in there, please call Christy and let her know um, so she can put it back in there. And then lastly, let me just remind you, because we do it as according to the BCO, we've announced next week, we've told you up front, but this is the week before. We want you to know next Sunday, right after worship service, for those of you who want to stay, you're members of the church. If you're not, you're still welcome to stay here, but uh, we will have our congregational meeting. And I know the finance team will present an executive report as from what's last year and what's changed to this year. The trustees will be coming forward. Uh, actually telling you what they've met upon this past year and some plans that they have going forward. I, I won't spoil all the news. I'll let Scott give it to you. But one of the things we've been praying about through the elders and the deacons, and some of you probably know, is the Colibarium Project, um, a place that we've been looking and several have asked about things, but is an opportunity for those who have lost a loved one and have decided they want a place to put them. So Scott and the, the trustees have a wonderful opportunity to share with our church some options for that as well. So please know next week, um, that is our, our meeting. If all goes well, I've shared before, we'll have an opportunity to, to vote on some things or just at least share those things with you. We don't vote on them as much as we just present them. But we would love for you to be a part. If you have questions, we'll help you all we can. So let's take a moment as we move from that and to prepare our hearts for worship. And let me take us to the throne of grace. It is there that we find all of our needs being met and we have access to the Father. And I pray this morning that you too will use that access. Wherever you are in your walk, um, you cannot continue to go forward without the help of the one who's created you and made you for his life and purpose. And so as I pray, you think about what it is that God needs to do in you. And then if you'll join me together in the Lord's Prayer. If you need it, it's inside the red hymn book. 
and you can follow along with us. But let's go to the throne of grace. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your Son, Jesus Christ, that you would send him, that he would willingly come, that you would come, and you would die on the cross, you would take on the form of flesh, that we would behold your glory in that of man, and that he would go back, and that he would send the Holy Spirit, that we could be filled, uh, Lord, that we would have the understanding and the power in what is necessary to serve you, and to recognize your lordship, and to crown you, Lord, amongst the peoples, the kings. Lord, the king that you are, as you reveal it to us, help us to share that with others. And Lord, in all the things that we face, help us to trust in you. Help us to turn our daily activities into daily ministries. Let us take our routines and make them excited to be able to serve and to ministry. And Lord, I just pray that you'll help us this morning when we leave this place that we'll know that we've been touched, we've been changed, we've been encouraged. Lord, we're excited about serving the one and only risen Savior. And Lord, we can do that because our hearts have been changed. Our lives have been changed. And Lord, they've been changed because of your son Jesus, who, when he died on the cross, opened access to us. When he rose again to sit at your right hand, he invites us in to plead our case, where we as a family can regularly come And pray together saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Each week we pray the Lord's Prayer, but we come to this spot in the catechism where we're learning and reminding ourselves of what we are doing when we are praying the Lord's Prayer. So I'll ask a question and then let's respond together. What do we pray for in the fourth petition? In the fourth petition, which is, give us this day our daily bread, we pray that of God's free gift, we may receive a competent portion of the good things of this life and enjoy his blessing with them. What do we pray for in the fifth petition? In the fifth petition, which is, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, we pray that God, for Christ's sake, would freely pardon all our sins, which are the rather encouraged to ask, because by his grace, we are enabled from the heart to forgive others. So we go from confessing what we believe to confessing our sin and what we've done, what we've left undone. And the call to confession is a familiar verse, Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to walk humbly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Do that one, so... Pick one of those, pick all of those. If we're honest, we have not lived up to that great calling to walk in relationship with God, to walk faithfully with him in word and deed and in attitude. So let's go to the Lord in prayer together with the prayer that's printed for you in the bulletin on the next page where it says confession of sin. Let's pray together. Forgive us our sins, O Lord. Forgive us the sins of our youth and the sins of our age the sins of our soul and the sins of our body, our secret and our whispering sins, 
our presumptuous and our careless sins, the sins we have done to please ourselves and the sins we have done to please others. Forgive us the sins that we know and the sins that we know not. Forgive them, O Lord. Forgive them all because of your great goodness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And perhaps this morning as we hear the Lord, the word preached, we would perhaps be further convicted of our sin and that we would know more of what we've done or left undone and that we would seek to live more faithfully and trusting in the promise of the gospel. So hear this promise, this assurance of pardon from Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. If you are a Christian, if you're looking to Jesus, if you're in Christ, be assured that you are no longer condemned. That Jesus is the one who died in our place, that God placed upon Jesus all the punishment that was coming to us. And now he sets us free to live a life that glorifies him. So be at rest, be confident, and worship the Lord with me. Amen. You may be seated, and I hope that you brought your Bibles so that you could follow along. And we've been working through the Psalms of Ascent and ask that uh, if you need, follow along, write down, keep uh, comments there in your text with you. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, that's also one, I think, there in your pews if you need to follow along and don't have one. If you don't have a Bible and would like one, um, it is our honor and privilege. We would love to give you one. So if you are here this morning and don't have a Bible, please come and see me. Call the office and let Christy know, and I will be glad to work a way to get you one, uh, and one that you can use. If you need something more, then let us know. We have sometimes have actually had many study Bibles and in the past, we've had friends sometimes, and I don't know if you know this, I'm sure some of you are familiar with Ligonier Ministries, but if you're not, sometimes they have those fabulous $5 deals on Friday. And I'll tell you this right now, we had a, one of our members showed up at our church, his name is Tim, a wonderful gentleman, he showed up, and he had about, I think it was 15 or 16 Reformation study Bibles. And he said, Jerry, I'd like to hand these out to people who need a Bible. And I said, Tim, that's a whole lot. He said, Jerry. I got them $5 a piece. And uh, so you never know what you'll find. But even if not, I would rather help you get a Bible that you will study and that you can learn from than to just pick up a paperback and take it. So please let us know, and I will be glad to help you if we can. We're in Psalm 123, where we are again seeing what the importance is in our journey as a Christian, as one who goes back. Now, keeping in the context, folks, they're journeying back to Jerusalem for the feasts and the festivals. It is the honor for them to be able to go back and to be with the people of God and to be in God's presence, to bring the offerings that they were commanded to bring. And they had opportunity to be with everybody at one time in a wholeness, a growing aspect of being brought closer to God. Now, we're not headed back to Jerusalem and we're not going to take our offerings and uh, I could tell you quickly a whole story that kind of went awry one time, and it was 
frustrating for one. We are in the middle of a building program, and the Lord has blessed us many times as we've went places where we are building this new sanctuary uh, down in Rockingham. And it was a large building, and a lot of work went into it. And one of the gentlemen, one of the deacons who was rotating off, came to me. And he's from a Pentecostal background. I hadn't been there long. I didn't know. And his name was Henry Causey. And he came to me, and he said, Pastor Jerry, I'd like to do something special to dedicate the building. And here my mind was racing, like, okay, what are we going to do? You know, dig a, a hole out there for the next tree that we'll put up or what the next landscape would be. And I said, well, Henry, think of some things. He said, I already got what I want to do. And he said, I think it'll be great. I said, what is it? He said, I think we should bring some pigeons and do an offering on the front of the church. And I thought about that. Guys, I was about 25 years old at the time. And I remember thinking to myself, are you serious? But he was dead serious. He thought we could just bring a sacrifice of praise to the church. And it didn't go, I will tell you that. We, we did not do that. And, uh, but there were some hurt feelings back then. Because he wanted to bring this offering of praise, of sacrifice, literally up into the church. And folks, this wasn't someone who's not trained, didn't know the Bible. So I'm not trying to make it a mockery. But folks, the, these folks are journeying back to do that. We're not doing that. Our journey is now forward. We're not looking to go back to Jerusalem. We're not looking to go back to the temple sacrifices. We're not waiting for one day there to be a temple set back up for sacrifices to be reinitiated. We don't personally here believe the Bible teaches that. There are some people who believe that. It's called a dispensationalist understanding. But we truly believe that we're moving forward to the new heaven and new earth, that when Christ is revealed to us, all things will be brought to oneness with him. And we will serve him. We will bow before him. Our journey now is not backward, but to be growing closer every step of the way to be more and more like Jesus. And to be more and more like Jesus, you have to ask yourself the question, what am I doing to look like him? How am I becoming more and more like him? And so here in Psalm 123, we want to be able to interpret it, not only as going back in its context of what he's facing, but how does that apply to us today as we, on our journey are constantly waiting for Christ to return. And to do that, we must grow in the aspect of service. So let me read it, and then we'll take some time as we have before introducing it and going forward. Some of them are very short. They're, there's not a lot to the points, but this is a good one. It's actually in my Bible titled, Our Eyes Look to the Lord Our God. That's not in the original, uh, but that's the subheading. Psalm 123 says this, as the psalmist writes, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of the maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has mercy upon us. So have mercy on us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. And he stops. So there's much here that we want to draw from this, and I want to take you on the journey through it. Let me give you a, a background first and foremost of why we're talking about service. As one would turn to the master 
because they have come to the point in their life that that's the one he serves and that's the one that's going to supply his need as he faces these hardships. And so this service is a necessary step. And I want to challenge you this morning on Matthew chapter 20. You can write it down, go to it later. It's there in verse 28 where we are told this. Jesus came to what? To serve. He came to serve and to give his life a ransom so that we together could work alongside with him in the plan of redemption. He is the one who has come to us. He did not become a servant so that we could order him around. Jesus came to serve, and many of us interpreted that as, now we're his master. And we can call on Jesus and tell him what we want him to do, tell him how we need things done. And we may not realize it, but our practice in our spiritual life is constantly ruling over Jesus and frustrated when we don't get what we want. As if he's our servant and we're his master. And that is not the intent here. The psalmist makes it very clear. Look what he says in the first few verses. We'll get into it later. But he says, I lift my eyes to you who are what? Enthroned. Folks, you can't be enthroned if you don't have a what? A throne. It's like going to a revival. You can't be revived if you've never been what? Vived. You know, you've got to be vived before you can be revived. And so, folks, the whole point of the throneship is you can't be enthroned if there's no throne. He's recognizing that as they've journeyed their way back, there are so many people who call themselves followers at this point. They're, they're the Israelites going back to serve God, yet they are constantly looking to others to supply their needs. Free to be able to serve him and to faithfully go back is a privilege. We need to recognize that the problem in life today, mark this in your mind and keep it. Our problem is not, even in America, it's not the fight so that we can be free. You know what the hardest battle is as Christians? It's not your freedom. It's learning, learning how to be a servant to a master. Because none of us want to what? Serve. It's still within us that we think here in America, we rule our own lives, have our own lives, have our freedom, go where we want, do what we want, and we fight for that freedom, and I'm glad we do. But that freedom never takes priority over our servanthood to the king. And so all of a sudden, the psalmist reminds us, well, why does that happen? Galatians 2, you know it. For I have been what? Crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but what? Christ who lives in me. He didn't come to be a servant. He actually came to empower me, to give me the strength that is needed. He does it through the Holy Spirit as he's ascended back to be with the right hand of the Father. As they send us the Holy Spirit, we realize it is not about us in the Christian life. And maybe you're here this morning and realize that as you've journeyed yourself through the Christian life, you're now being reminded at whatever stage you are that you've been living the Christian life for your benefit. And now you're fed up. You're frustrated. It's the contempt. It's the people around you. It's the things that are going on. It's not worked the way you wanted it to. And so the psalmist is going to give us this cry out because he realizes even in Romans chapter 6, it's one of the greatest chapters. If you haven't memorized it, you should. Many people do. But listen to Romans 6 at the end of the chapter when he begins to write, not in the first part where we have been baptized with him, so we've been buried with him in baptism, raised together in a new life. As we understand what it means to die to ourselves and to be alive in Christ, listen to what verse 12 says. Let not sin, therefore, 
reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions and do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But listen, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. There should be no confusion over who is the one that's in control. There should be no confusion over what is necessary for us to grow in Christ. But we find ourselves constantly struggling in this onward journey of serving ourselves rather than him and others. If you would just understand what the Bible teaches about right relationships, the hardest part is just to say, I agree it's right and I'll change. You know, almost every problem that you face in relationships if you fight to the finish and finally get to the point where you're ready to give up, I encourage you one last step. Just open the scriptures and see what the proper relationship should look like. He addresses us on how husbands should treat wives and wives to husbands and children to parents, parents to children. He talks about slaves to masters and masters to their servants. Folks, the relationships that are multiple and many are all described. The hardest part of it is this. We know what the Bible says. We just what? We just have a hard time thinking it's better than what we're doing. And all of a sudden we realize the psalmist, we're all here. I will tell you this. You can put this in your mind. We all serve someone. You are not free from servanthood. Whether you serve yourself, whether you serve your pastor, your boss, your church, your spouse, your ideas, your causes, you will serve someone. And here's the scary part. The character that you develop in yourself will probably model the character of the one you serve. You want to see what a person's life is like, just find out who it is they serve or what it is they serve. And you'll begin to see why they are the way they are. We become like our master we become, hopefully, as Christians like Jesus Christ. Throughout the Old Testament, we have a character that's based in many of our uh, servants and those who are following Christ as the ones who are accomplishing his purposes in his ways. That's why they're called in the Old Testament servants of the Lord. They're not just called disciples. They're not just reached out as men who follow. They're actually titled servants of the Lord. There's, there's no unclear picture here of who these people are serving for. In the New Testament, we call them disciples, one who is following, one who is behind another, becoming like another. But there's the distinction between them and us. The disciples were invited to serve, and maybe you have been. But what distinguished the true servant was the one who was willing and ready to go. Do you remember when Isaiah was called out in the Old Testament? We all remember the story in chapter 6 when he said, who's going to go for me? Who's going to reach these people and serve them? Do you remember what Isaiah said? It's a very simple statement. He said this, here am I, what? Send me. Part of being a servant of the Lord is it's a willingness. If you're here this morning and you're saying, I just can't stand this Christian life, man. The Lord wants me to do everything. I mean, I get frustrated. He wants my Sunday mornings for worship. He wants me to Sunday night sometimes gather for ministries. Gosh, they have this prayer ministry thing that's going on I have to be a part of. And there's people that are hungry and they want me to feed them. There's those that are going without clothes and they're asking me to help clothe them. There's people who are having babies like Eric and Sia and their new wonderful child. And they want us to do the showers and provide for them and be a part of that. 
I mean, this church business, this Christian life thing, it just seems like all they want me to do is what? Serve. Well, let me fill you in. I got a lot of places you can what? Serve. But see, that's the hard part. You'll do it anywhere else. Isn't it amazing that your boss can say, hey, we posted some extra hours and you'll take them. We can post overtime and you've got it. We've got extra things to promote, and we'll take that. There's openings on jobs that take more time, take more days, and we find ourselves in careers serving unendingly for someone who can never touch our soul. Yet the one who asks us to serve him, we find it so hard to be so willing, and we find it so hard to find the time. I don't know about you, but how many of you wrestled with just that one hour and a half on Sunday morning. For you, it may not even be the hour and a half while you're here. It's maybe the hour of the drive just getting here. It's working through the issues in your mind just getting here. It's giving up a whole morning when everybody else can go out and do things. And I remind you, just who is it that you're serving? Will it be worth it? At the end, here's what the psalmist says. There's several things you won't find them in here. I'm going to elaborate for you this morning. If you're going to be a true servant, you're going to understand the psalmist. There's things that have to. How do I become a servant of the Lord? First of all, he's going to remind us it all begins by looking upward. You must look upward to love the Lord. Write that down. You must look upward to love the Lord. Now, the psalm says nothing about many of these other things. We're going to get them from an implication and all the application that comes out of it. Uh, but the position of the psalmist is simply this. If I would just look up to the Lord, it will change everything else in my servanthood. And what does that change? Well, number two, we have to look outward to love others. So first we look upward to the Lord. Then we look outward to love others. And then we look churchward. Folks, I'm going to use this word. Why? Because you love when I give you new terminology, right? We're going to look churchward. I was going to say inward because you know what that means. But here's the problem. For the Christian to look inward, they're actually looking where? To the body of Christ. Because you are not one and only by itself. You are a member of the body. So I was going to say you have to look inward. But I don't want you to think, oh, he just wants me to see what I want. That's not true. So replace it with the word churchward. Because not only do you love the Lord, and not only do you love others, but you must love the body of Christ. And finally, you must look forward and love witnessing and waiting for the Lord. That's what helps us in our servitude. It begins here. I'm going to give you some details. First of all, it begins by looking up to love the Lord. Listen to what he says. To you I lift my eyes. To you the one who is enthroned. It implies again, he is realizing his place in this relationship. I am the servant, not the master. I am the one that is in need, not the one who supplies. I am the one who is searching, not the one who has the answers. He puts himself in proper perspective, which is exactly what you do in repentance, which is exactly what you do when you humble yourself, is when things aren't going right, Everything's adding up. Things are bogging you down. You're carrying too much, and you realize, Lord, I'm doing this on my own, and I need a proper perspective. And so we fall on our knees, and we look to him who is enthroned, and we say, let's do this your way. Let's do this your way. And that's when we begin to realize it changes. 
throne above, Revelation chapter 4, wonderful book if you've never been through it and read the whole thing sitting down. Chapter 4 is when John is giving a glimpse of all the elders around the throne in heaven. It's a wonderful scene. And they're gathered together around it. And he paints the picture by simply saying this. He watches the elders from the corners of the world cast their crowns at the foot of Jesus and fall down to worship him. He is the one that's enthroned. The day is coming, folks. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord. See, you know it, but do we practice it? Are we a witness to it? Do our lives reflect it? Or do we just say we know it? That's the difference in servanthood. Knowing what to do and doing it. The psalmist doesn't give us a list of things of what to do. He gives us an example of what he's doing. How he's humbling himself to the Lord. We can't do it if we're not going to humble ourselves before him. Yes, it's about reading the word of God. Letting him speak to you. Letting the Holy Spirit guide and direct you. Folks, if you're too busy to read the word of God, you know what? You're just too what? Busy. It's that simple. If you're too busy to be in the word of God and to listen to what he's saying and to let the Holy Spirit lead you, something's got to change because you're just too busy. But it doesn't stop there. Oh, don't leave this morning and have, well, Pastor Jerry told me reading the Bible is just not enough and the Holy Spirit. No, but it doesn't stop there. What's so amazing is this. The reason we read the word and the reason the Holy Spirit guides and directs us is because it leads us to him. You see, all the Bible study in the world, every book that you've read, every blank that you've filled in, every scripture verse you've rewrote, every time you've read the paragraph, wrote the right answers, finished the chapter, got through the book, and started another one, none of that will change your circumstances at all if it's just busy work that never leads you to him. You can fill your mind with all kinds of things. But if you haven't surrendered your life to him, and it's not leading you to a closer relationship to him, and it's not allowing you to see the perspective of who's really in control of this relationship, then you're not going to change at all. Yes, even Bible study doesn't change you if it's not led by the Holy Spirit and drawing you to him. We must look upward Serving the Lord in blind obedience is not what we're after. We're looking for those who are willing to serve him, revealed in his word, going farther and farther. Listen to the word that he gives us about mercy. I've turned to you, Lord, and behold, the eyes of the servant are looking to you. And you know how long you look to the Lord? What does the scripture tell you? We looked to the Lord until when? Until he had mercy on us. See, they never stopped realizing that if the supply wasn't coming from the Lord, it didn't need to come from somewhere else. Maybe it was something we really didn't need. Maybe we're praying for things we really shouldn't have. And then when we turn to the Lord and we pray for them, we wait for his answer, not for someone else to step in and fill it in a different way. Are you truly serving the Lord? So the Hebrew word here for mercy is also translated favor and graciousness throughout the Old Testament. Kanan is the word that is used. It's an expectation that God's going to do something. It's the word that carries with it action like we talked about in the Greek. It's the word for mercy or graciousness. And you wouldn't ask God to be merciful if you didn't think he was going to what? Show mercy. See, you're asking him to do something. You're not just saying, hey, God, I read a bunch of good stuff about you today. 
hey, God, I've learned a whole lot about your attributes and what this is. And I think predestination is a cool subject. Man, I love how foreknowledge works together. And I'm even more excited that I'm elect. I mean, those are exciting terms. But what does that have to do about serving? Folks, where are you in your Christian walk? Oh, I used to be told all the time in the Billy Graham School of Evangelism, I loved being it. I loved the books. I, I just loved evangelism. I loved Larry Coleman's master plan. I loved Wells' books on how God did it. I loved all the writings about evangelism because it was there that it would take me to the practical applications of talking to people. That's what I loved about evangelism. It took away the fear of putting my servanthood into action. Oh, let me ask you one question this morning. Outside your children, outside your children, how many people have you witnessed in your presence accept the Lordship of Jesus Christ and watch their life change? Man, you're missing out. And I'll tell you why. Sometimes it's because you just didn't simply ask the question. Would you like to know Jesus? Would you like to surrender your heart to Jesus? Would you pray with me? And we'll pray the Holy Spirit will convict you and change you. Oh man, it's amazing. See, we don't put servanthood into action. We know what Jesus did. We know what the disciples did. We know what the prophets did. We know what our forefathers have done. We even know what our pastor does and our Sunday school teachers do. But the question is, do you do the servanthood of the Lord? Are you looking up to him, finding graciousness and mercy coming back down right along with it? Listen to what he says. Not only is he waiting for all this, listen why. I need mercy, Lord, verse 3. It's only two things in this whole Psalter that we're getting. It's, Lord, I need mercy and why. And here is why he says it. Our soul has had more than enough of this contempt. Verse 4. You may not know what that means, but saba is the word that is used in Hebrew. It's a very common word. You know what it actually is translated when you said you've had enough? It's, I've eaten to my fill. Have you ever had enough food that when you're done, you just simply say, oh gosh, I can't handle another bit? How many of you have ever eaten enough to say, I've eaten so much, I'm about to throw up? Have you ever done that? I want you to raise your hand because that's sin. <laughs> I just want you to know that. That's called gluttony. I got gotcha. you. Slow down a little bit. But I've been there. I've been there. My wife is such a good cook. I can't help it. But that's the actual translation. My filling up is enough. This is what he's actually saying when he puts together the word. Lord, I am stuffed. I can't take one more bit of all this contempt and the things of this world and the things that are going on around me. I've had my fill. There's no more room for me to do this. There's no more room for me to go forward in a life like this. I need you to come back down to me. My job is getting carried away. They're asking too much and I can't say no. My friends are asking me to take on things and I just can't take on anymore. I've got to be able to say no. My spouse is asking me so many things and I'm afraid that I just have to be able to do I, I, I committed to that and I've got to be able to say no. My church constantly nagging me to do things. That crazy pastor always wanting me to do stuff. I've got to be able to say what? No, because I've got to have time to serve who? The Lord. Folks, you've had every opportunity the last two years to witness to people for no other reason than they're complaining about everything going on. 
And the best time to witness to people is when they're what? Frustrated. Believe it or not, it's in the time of grief and frustration that most people are willing to talk. If you want to talk to someone about the Lord, go to a funeral. Don't talk to the one in the casket, but all those others that are out there. Because when people are hurting, they're willing to talk, they're willing to share. It's the opportunity to say, well, listen, you don't have to have this grief in your life. You don't have to go through what he's gone through. You don't have to have the unknown. It's the wonderful time. But it also works with frustration. Because when people are hurting and upset, they're going to tell you what they think. And what an opportunity to say, I understand what you're saying. This is how I see it. I'll tell you how I got through it. I'll tell you how I was able to submit. I'll tell you how I was able to go forward. It's a wonderful opportunity to put servanthood into action for the kingdom. That's why we're here. I hope and pray, and I know in your hearts that you're not here to see Grace Evangelical Presbyterian Church be the largest church in the state of Maryland, in the East Coast, for no other reason than we can what? Say we're the what? The largest church in Maryland in the East Coast. I remember back when I served in the Baptist church, many of my friends, I love a lot of their programs. I don't want to knock everything about the Southern Baptist because my heart still resides with so many of their ministries that I've been a part of. But one thing that used to irk me the most is we could be in any ministry there is going on, and if we had one of the best vacation Bible schools ever, the only question that would ever be asked was what? Well, how many people did you baptize? And I'd be like, man, I don't know. We'd have a revival and a wonderful time. We would even call them awakenings, and pastors would come, and different ones would speak. We'd talk about how great it was, and they'd say, well, how many people got baptized? And one of my biggest frustrations was sometimes I just wanted to tell people, I don't care how many people got baptized. Even on our year-end reports, how many baptisms did you have? And we would announce to the world in our uh, big general assembly, we don't call it general assembly, but our big conventions every year, they would announce how many people were baptized. And I remember one pastor one time stood up. I was just a young guy. And, and you could see the statistics of the church, 43,000 Southern Baptist churches, 16 million member denomination, that all these things. And it would say something like 2,570 baptisms. And then it would say, and our church membership went down 1,600 people. And you would think, wait a minute, if we just baptized 2,500, I'm making this up, and we went down 1,700 as a whole, what happened to the rest of the what? Folks, it's not about numbers. Servanthood is not about counting how many. Servanthood isn't about that, because I'll tell you why. You may water and you may plant, but only one can make it grow. I'll tell you who will be in heaven those that God knows and those that God chose and that's it so you have to ask yourself where are you in servanthood are you fed up with everything else that's going on listen to what he said my soul verse 4 has had more than enough of this feel those who are at ease and scorning us you have to understand that word because contempt here is we're easy to remember in Hebrews buzz Okay, the contempt that goes on in Hebrew is this attitude and action of other people against us. But it's the only time in the Old Testament that the word of ease here, this contempt of soul. I've had enough scorn and contempt. Folks, that's the only time in the Old Testament it's used. And you know when it's referenced to? This ease of contempt that people have against you 
is the same phrase in Nehemiah when Sanballat and Tobiah went to the Jews when they were rebuilding and mocked them at the work they were doing on the walls. And this is the phrase of why the psalmist is so upset. God, be gracious to me. Come and help me because the world is mocking and scorning me just like Sam Ballad and Tobiah did because they think my efforts are futile. They think my life is in futility, that what I'm trying to accomplish is meaningless, and they're laughing at me. They look at me and scorn me. Maybe you feel like that. And you realize this morning, I need to look up. Tired of being mocked. The scariest thing about this whole phrase is, look what it says in here about the ease. Those who are at ease. That is the same synonym, a play on the word that we used for relax or security in the previous psalm. And you know what happens? It's almost as though the psalmist is saying this. Oh, you be careful, those of you who stand. Take heed unless you would. There's this fine line between being relaxed and trusting in the judgment of God and that you're going to be safe and pushing it to the limit and being relaxed and you better be careful because you're about to face judgment. You see, Sanballat and Tobias and all those that were mocking were at ease. They were relaxed in this concept of judgment, getting ready to face what God had for them. Yet the psalmist cried out and said, but I want to be relaxed. I want to be at ease knowing that I'm doing what's right. So he calls out, Lord, again, let me look up. Let me see what it is. We must be careful that we find ourselves not overconfident, concerned. Galatians chapter 6 says it this way, folks. Listen to me carefully. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. You will reap what you, oh, you know it. That's the translation over to Greek about taking it at ease. Oh, be careful for those of you who call yourselves Christians, who call yourselves servants of the Lord, who call yourselves out as disciples and following Christ because you're at ease because judgment will not come your way because if Christ is the one who came and died for you and replaced your life with his and covered you in his righteousness, you can faithfully walk in this life and be at ease knowing that you're not going to be judged. But oh, be so careful you're not overconfident that you have taken what you think is a relationship in Christ and are now mocking God. You will reap what you what? So we all ought to be serving. Well, how do we do that? We don't just look upward. Let me give you a few things again. These come from the implying throughout. We'll see these in several Psalters. For, then we have to look outward to love others. Quickly, let me just tell you this. It all begins by looking upward. The psalmist cries out and simply says, I have had my fill with the rest of the world. I, there's no more that I can take in this. I need to get my help from the Lord. I need to find out the truth of how it works, and I need to serve him. I need to fall on my knees, look up to him, and get this relationship right. And the only way to do that is for him to be the master and you to be the servant. And when you're done looking up, you can immediately look outward to love others. Matthew 22. Again, we told you he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom. Look at Galatians 5, chapter 13, or chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. Write that down in your books. We are told that we have to serve one another with love. He even reminds us in Galatians what Jesus said when he said this. 
the greatest commandments of all could be summarized in two. Do you remember what they are? Love the Lord your God and then love your what? I'll give it to you easier. Look up and then look out. Because that's the summary of servanthood. If you're not loving others right now, you've got to ask yourself, am I serving the Lord? The bitterness that I hold on to, the hatred that's welling in my heart. These aren't things that happen to a servant of the Lord. So after we look out, then here's the third thing I told you. The servant looks churchward to love the body of Christ. There are so many things that we have learned now that the psalmist didn't have. Do you want to hear how important the body of Christ is to come? Look at 1 Corinthians. I'll just read it to you. Chapter 12. Listen to what it says just briefly. There are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Jump down to verse 25, and it says this. Why? So there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. I'll tell you why we look to God. Because when we look to God, we realize he wants us to look out for others. When we start looking out for others, we realize we're also a part of a body that we need to look to care for. Oh, that's one thing I will give you here at this church. I will be the first to brag on you if I can. And I would be the first to tell any that I meet. There's something special about Grace, Prez, and Davidsonville. You know how to care for one another. You know how to care for one another. I don't know how many times someone's sick and the food goes, someone's down and there's people to pray. Something's happened and the deacons go to serve. Something's going wrong and the elders are there to lead. It's a constant working together as a body. Why? Because first you look up and realize your position and where you should be when it comes to the relationship with God. And then you realize you can't escape looking out for others. Those around you, your neighbors. You also realize you can't neglect the body. This is where you are. And this is where God's placed you. And finally, you have to look forward. A true servant looks forward to the witnessing and waiting on the Lord. You may not know this, but the Great Commission isn't just found in Matthew. If you go through the synoptic gospels, they call them Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Let me just quickly give you this about evangelism. Paul shared in 1 Thessalonians that we ought to share not only the word, but ourselves with everyone. Are you giving of yourself, or are you just telling others you're there if they need it? I don't know how many times I've said to someone, if you really need something, call me. And then there's a side of me that thinks, I hope they don't what? Call me if you need something, just not this weekend because I'm going to be out of town. And next Thursday, I'll be back. If you call me before noon, I don't have my kid's game. I'll tell you what, you just call me whenever you get a chance, and if I can help you, I will. You know what you really should say? I know you're suffering and I know you're hurting, but there's not a lot I can do about it right now. And I'm not willing to change my schedule to help you. So call someone else. That's the truth. Are you looking forward? Acts 1.8 says we'll be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses all over the world. Matthew 28, go and make disciples, baptizing them from Jerusalem to the ends of the world. Luke says it this way, preach repentance and forgiveness and proclaim his name to everyone. 
so that you can be his witnesses. Mark simply says this, preach to the whole world. And they preached, it says, while Jesus worked with them. Do you see what it is? True servants don't just look up to God. They're not just looking out and trying to help. And they're not just looking at the body of Christ to serve. They're excited about sharing the kingdom. Do you know why? Because the psalmist says that I looked up and he was enthroned. This is the king. This is the one who put it all together. This is the one who every moment in time came together so that your parents would meet. So that at just the right time, they would come together so that you would be born. Because he predestined that. He wanted you. He prepared every moment in time and every circumstance for you. And when you look up and you see him throned, how can you help to not tell others about your king? What kind of servant would not talk good about their master well I'll tell you one who doesn't understand the difference between being a slave and being a slave to Christ one is a willing servanthood the other is oppression and sinful just where are you just where are you Revelation 22. I love how he phrases it when Jesus simply says, I'm coming to reward each one according to what they deserve. And the very last of the verse says this. Come, Lord Jesus, what? Come. Are you relaxed enough? Are you confident enough? Are you serving the Lord Jesus Christ that if he were to come today, your heart is already said, come, Lord Jesus, come. Maybe I can ask you the question, where do you need to change your servanthood? Maybe you need to be more applicable with your neighbors, more open to helping, serving them. Maybe it's the body of Christ. You're serving everybody else but the body. And maybe it's the one and only king. You need to stop, get on your knees, and see who's on the throne. Oh, it'll change your life. It'll change everything about you. And as the psalmist said, don't stop looking up until you receive that gracious mercy. He's the only one that can provide it. He came to give his life a ransom for you. If you're here this morning and you're saying, well, I just don't know what it means to serve Jesus. Let me tell you. It's the simple repentance of the changing your mind to agree with God. When you agree with God that what he says is true, then it changes your heart. He begins to form and fashion you exactly like he wants you. And he says that you're a vessel of honor in his hands. And he begins to mold and to make you exactly what he wants you to be. And it's never too late to fall on your knees and say, Lord, I've been serving myself. I'm ready to serve the king. I have not found one place in all the scriptures in 30 years of ministry, funerals, weddings, counseling services, building programs, mission work. I've been challenged on every aspect, it seems. I've never found a place yet. When someone came to Jesus and said, I want to be saved, that he said what? I'm sorry, I'm too busy. He's never turned anyone down. The harvest is plentiful, 
It's just the laborers are what? Few. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your graciousness, for your mercy. Lord, help us like the psalmist to look up to you. Lord, we realize that we have had enough with the way the world treats us, with the way they lead us, direct us, fill us. I've had enough of the programs, enough of the TV shows, enough of the game show hosts. I've had enough of the sitcoms, enough of the politics in my living room. I've had enough of all that takes place from the world that's made its way through my phone, made its way through the broadcasts and the internets. Lord, I find myself now surrounded around the one that wants to dictate my life. And today I want to give it to you. Today I want to fall down and simply say, Lord, whatever it takes, whatever it is, be gracious to me. Change me. Here I am. Send me. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. It's in his name we pray. Amen. You'd receive the benediction. Paul simply said, and may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And God's children said, amen. Enjoy your Lord's day.